So as you know, we've been, uh, we've been going on a little series called Noel, and uh, each week we're kind of taking a, a uh, Christmas carol and then looking at the story uh, through the book of Luke, through the eyes of Dr. Luke. And so um, if you want to turn in your Bibles, actually you don't have to turn in your Bibles because we're, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to read the story together this morning, all right? Um, Every year, I don't, know, I don't know if this is a tradition at your house, but at our house, we try to read the story every year, and then we listen to uh, Mannheim Steamroller, <laughs> Stille Nacht, um, and, uh, and, and it's a wonderful experience. So we're going to read uh, Luke chapter 2, and uh, we're going to read the story from verse 1 all the way to verse 20, and I want you to just join in with me, and I want you to kind of immerse yourself in the picture of the story. We're going to read it real slow and real intentionally. And so let's begin here uh, and read it together, everybody. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and laying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they saw him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Oh, good job. Let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you for the word of God that has life and inspiration attached to it. Lord, as you breathed into it once when the writer was writing, now breathe into us again and let us see what you're saying. Let us understand the truth, the message, 
of Christmas. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I think the first, as you know, we've been going through, the, through each week and looking at different aspects. Last week we spoke about how incredible it was that Mary and Joseph went through this process where the angel, an angel appeared to really both of them separately at separate times and spoke to them and said things like, you are blessed and highly favored. Don't be afraid. And yet, at this very crucial moment, they end up in a, in a place where there's no room and they end up in a, putting the baby in a manger where animals are routinely kept. Somehow they, they're, they're, they're experiencing this miracle of Jesus coming into the world, but I'm not sure that they really were thinking that this was how it was going to happen. You know, when you're told that you're going to give birth to a king, to a, the Messiah, the Lord, the one that we've been expecting for years and years, and the one that's been spoken about in, by the prophets, and, and an angel appears to you and said, you're going to give birth to this Messiah, you're going to give birth to this king, you don't typically think that you're going to end up homeless trying to find your place <laughs> and then having a baby where animals are kept. And so, and yet, and yet God speaks to them. Yet God comes in in that very dark, possibly very disconcerting moment, something happens to them. A miracle appears. This baby comes into our world and comes into their world. And strangely enough, as we, as we read the story, what happens to Mary and Joseph was they, they, they have visitors. They have unexpected guests. Not only is there no room for them, there's really no room for other people. But here's the, here's the funny thing about the story. If we start here and we begin to look at Mary and Joseph, and there they are in this, it was probably a, a lower level of the house, people upstairs, animals downstairs, possibly a cave. We've come to know it as a stable. They're there. They're, they're having, they've had the baby. There's the miracle that's happening. I don't know about you, but if you've had kids, you typically, we've all had them in, uh, in the hospital. Most of us, some of you at home. But typically, after you have a baby, there's something really wonderful that happened. People, people come, and they, uh, they come to see you, and they have little gift bags. They have little onesies that they want to give you, and they want to give the baby. They have, they have precious gifts, and they come, and, and I, I, I've had five babies. I've been in the hospital five different times. Some experiences better than others, but in each time there was people, family members and friends who would come by and they would give us nice little things. They would come and look at the baby and they would say, oh, isn't he beautiful, even though he looked like a prune. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Babies are not necessarily always beautiful. Now, the parents always think so. However... <laughs> We all know that they're not because they're all wrinkled up and they've just gone through some pretty tremendous trauma. And so here's these babies and they say how beautiful they are and how sweet they are and they bring you little gifts and it's, and it's just and they, a little, you know, kind of fib to the mom. Oh, you look great. <laughs> She's just gone through some of the worst trauma she'll ever experience as well. And so we have this experience where we come and, we, and, we, and we, we come to this moment where we have a baby and people come and visit. This is exactly what happened 
to Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph had visitors. They had guests. The only problem was they were stinky ranchers. I mean, imagine it, okay? So the angel appears to them. We'll get to that in a second. But you can imagine baby Jesus is here. He's laying in a manger. That's the sign, by the way, that the angel gives them, that they're going to be in a manger. And so they have this miracle. And then there's a knock at the door. (laughs) Who could that be? The door creaks open. And then there stands a group of shepherds. Now, do you understand what shepherds were? They were essentially at the bottom of the social totem pole. They were not well-respected people. They were the kind of people that lived outside. They camped. They had tents. They smelled like fireplaces and they smelled like campfire. That's what I meant, fireplaces. They smelled like campfires, and they, and they, and they kind of didn't wash a lot. Toothless. <laughs> Smelly. Hi, we heard there's a baby here. <laughs> and they come in, and they want to see the baby. How awkward is this for Mary and Joseph? Who are you again? And then, of course, they have this moment, this incredible moment where they say, an angel appeared, and as soon as they say it, as soon as the toothless, stinky guy says, an angel appeared to us, (laughs) then they're like, oh, you're kidding. An angel appeared to us. Come in, hurry, come in, come in. We came to see the Savior, the Lord, the Messiah. And they come in, and can you imagine how awkward it would have been? Did they ask to hold him? <laughs> Could I hold him? <laughs> what would, I mean, you can imagine Mary's face. Uh, sure. Sometimes we have to take off our little holy glasses and we have to read the story as it is. We have to peer into what was happening, and that's been our goal with reading the book of Luke, is to peer into these people's lives. Mary and Joseph, all of a sudden, even, in their, even in, their, in their moment of discouragement, potential frustration with the plan, another confirmation. Not coming from where they thought it would, but coming from these wonderful men. I don't know who they left the sheep with. They, brought, they drew straws, you know, left the skinniest, scrawniest guy to watch over the sheep, and they all went, and they looked for this baby, and they had to look, obviously, that's what the angel kind of, he said to them, that you've got to find this baby, and it's wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger, and so they went around, can you imagine the process of looking? <laughs> Is there a baby in here? <laughs> no, get out! They're, they're going to different places, they, they finally find this place, and there's a baby laying in a manger, and they get it. So the shepherds is what we're talking about today. Smelly, toothless shepherds. As they sat under the stars that night with no idea, no idea that their lives were about to be transformed, really. They were about to experience something, a story that they would tell for the rest of their lives. They had no idea. I don't know if you've ever been camping 
out under the stars. In Colorado, we used to do it a lot in July, because that's pretty much the only month you can go outside and sleep outside. July and August. Um, but you, you, you lay out there, and as you look up far away from all the city lights and the hustle and the bustle of business as usual, and you look up there and you see these little pinpricks in the fabric, the canopy, the heavens, and you see it, and you, it's amazing how many of them there are. And you're looking and you're watching, and, and it kind of makes you think, doesn't it? It, it? it sort of settles you. You begin to think about the vastness of the universe, the vastness of space, how big God is. The Bible says that the universe is the 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 the, <laughs> the breadth of his hand the way his hand stretches out that's the size of all the universe and it's an incredible thing as you look at it and you start thinking about greater grander ideas i wonder if the shepherds that very night looked up at the stars i wonder if they were there watching and wondering, thinking about their own lives, thinking about what it meant. Shepherds typically wouldn't do that. But it's interesting that night an angel appeared to them and said, tonight I have a message for you. It's news. It's incredible news. It's good news. It's great news. It will be for all people. Say those two words with me all people. It wasn't for specially selected people. It wasn't for just those who were of a certain class. It wasn't for those who had money. It wasn't for those who had political clout. It wasn't just for those who had this, the special secret. It was for all people. And I think God was communicating at this point in the story, and I think Luke, when he writes it, there is a communication of the idea that the, the gospel message, the idea of God's love and his desire for all mankind, it is for all people. It is not for a select few. It is not for just the spiritually mature. It is for all kinds of people at every level of society. And I think God spoke to these shepherds as a message to us. And so here they are, an angel speaks to them, and they're listening to it. And an angel would have been intimidating enough, as you know from our... From our story that we've been reading, you, you see that angels show up and scare you to death, and then they say, don't be afraid. And this is, this is exactly how it works with God. He's, he's up to something, he's doing things, and then he shows up to, in your life, and you get freaked out, and then he says, don't be afraid. It's really okay. I have it under control. So this, this angel is speaking to them, but then suddenly, a huge a huge array of angels, an angelic choir, a huge midnight concert shows up with angels filling the heavens and they begin to sing this song, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men. It's interesting to note that we don't have the story of all the people just a, a short distance in Bethlehem. We don't have any record of them seeing that angelic choir, even though the sky was filled with them that night. We don't, have, we don't have a record of people in Jerusalem, the most holy city, 
people, we don't have any record of them seeing the angelic hosts filling up the skies that night. So it's got to make you wonder, right? It's got to make you wonder, mate, were they there and people just didn't see them? I mean, angelic hosts, there's thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 is what Revelation says. And could it be that the whole world was full? So who saw it and who didn't? I wonder if the shepherds got to see it because they were available. I wonder if the shepherds saw it because their lives were not busy and full. They were out, out in the, out in the fields, keeping watch. They were watching over their sheep. They, certainly they had work to do. Certainly they had to plan and they had to care for those sheep. But I wonder if the pace of their lives made them special recipients of the message. And of course, then that makes you wonder, what messages is God trying to send you that you're just not available to receive? Might our lives be too busy and too consumed, running from here to there, just going, 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 and then s somehow we just miss God saying to us, I have a plan. I have a purpose. I have something I want to tell you. I have good news for you. It's for you. Yes, it's for you. I wonder. You see these angels, they're, they're singing this song to these shepherds. And of course, after, they're, after they're, the sky is illuminated with this incredible concert, then they, they look at one another and they say, we've got to go see this thing. They were convinced. <laughs> I wonder why we're not convinced sometimes. God convinces them and they go and they, they're looking around for this baby. Then they arrive and then Mary and Joseph are encouraged. Something happens at this moment that just places faith inside of the hearts of Mary and Joseph. <gasps> the angels are speaking, not just to us. We're not the crazies. <laughs> Do you ever feel like you're crazy because you think God's spoken something to you? And then you, you need somebody else to go, oh yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, the Lord was telling me. That's why God puts us together. The shepherds show up providing one more confirmation that God is indeed up to something big, something huge. Mary and Joseph's hearts are filled with faith. In fact, the, the ending little passage that we read there, it said, but Mary treasured up all these things in her heart and pondered them. She was thinking of them. But then it says, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. I tell you, it's hard to keep silent. It's hard to keep from glorifying and praising God when He's doing things in your life, when you're seeing and witnessing things, when you're, when you're amazed at His plan and His purpose. I was overwhelmed right here, sitting in that second row of this dirty, stinky movie theater. As we sang, He loves us, oh, how He loves us. I was reminded one more time, that I do not have to perform for God to love me. That so many of us in our performance-based 
kind of concepts, our identity being held in our work or, or the things that we accomplish or the things that we do, we, it's difficult. That's what pushes us to the busyness. That's what pushes us to be distracted. Those kinds of things, trying to prove who we are and what we have and what we can accomplish. And yet God is saying, I love you. You don't have to, you don't have to do all that. You don't have to fill your life with all that stuff. Let me lead you. Let me guide you. Yes, work hard. Yes, do, do the things that I've given you to do. But you don't have to do those to prove yourself to me. I love you. I love you. I think Mary and Joseph were experiencing that, and the, and the shepherds, they looked at themselves and they realized, we're just shepherds. Why has God spoken to us? Do you realize that the shepherds were the ones responsible for carrying the message? The shepherds were the ones responsible for telling the story. The shepherds returned, it says, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The scripture says that all who heard it were amazed. Toothless, smelly guys. So I want you to see this picture in the scriptures. Go with me. Go with me here as we, as we look at these ideas. You don't need great skill to be included in God's plans. I know you're thinking, well, yeah, you do. What skill did those shepherds have? They could care for sheep. Now, isn't it interesting, though? Isn't it interesting, though, that the idea of shepherd and sheep, sheep are filled. I mean, the, the scriptures are filled with the ideas of shepherds and sheep. Jesus is the great shepherd. We are called sheep all throughout this book. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my Shepherd. King David, the greatest king in the history of Israel, was a shepherd boy. There is something that we can sort of see about shepherds, and I think it is this, these ideas that we're sort of exploring this morning. They were available. They were willing. You don't need great skill to be including, included in God's plan. You don't need extraordinary giftedness to be used by God. So many Christians that I know are waiting for them, they, 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 they're waiting for something to happen in their lives. They, they're afraid that they can't do what Brent Parsley can do. They can't uh, lead worship like Marty. They can't, uh, they can't play an instrument. They can't stand up and speak. They, can't, they, they have all this list of things that they can't do. Listen, that's not who God is looking for. God is not looking for those people. He's got plenty of people who want to do that. They're all lined up, and he lets some of them do it. But what God wants is he wants to use ordinary people. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Okay, here's, now, here, why would he do that? He does it because it's the best way for him to get all the glory. It's the best way for him to receive all of the honor and all of the glory and all of the credit. God wants to display himself. He wants to put himself on display in the earth, and he wants to do it through average, normal, stinky, smelly, toothless people. Now, you don't have to be toothless for him to use you. 
You don't have to be smelly. You can use deodorant. And you don't have to be a, a person that's not very intelligent. That's not a requirement. It, I'm not saying Jesus only uses unintelligent people. What I'm telling you is that he's willing. And sometimes it is those people that he can express himself through best. The shepherds, the scripture says, what, what happened in, in verse 17? When they see, had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. I want you to think about that little phrase. Everything that they had heard and seen. What have you heard and seen lately? Because that's really all you're responsible for. When you look through the scriptures, I looked through for this little phrase, and it's all over the New Testament. Let's look there. Luke chapter 7, verse 22. It'll appear on the screen, so you can go with me quickly. Luke 7, 22. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. This is Jesus, and he's talking to the disciples of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is saying, okay, I think it's you, but is it really you? He sends his disciples to ask Jesus this. Okay, are you the Messiah or should we look for another? And Jesus says, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. That's enough. So what have you seen and heard lately? Do you see God working? Have you heard about people where God is working in their lives? Acts 4, verse 18. Acts 4, verse 18 says, Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. This is Peter and John, and they've just been thrown into prison, and they've just been persecuted because they healed a lame man at the, at the steps of the temple. And as they did this, it threw everything into a, a crazy uproar, and, and, and then they, they said, you don't, you don't need to keep doing this. Stop doing this. Stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And so they commanded them not to do this, and they said, look, we can't help it. We can't stop it. Look, what, what's happening to us, it's out of control. All we can do is we must tell about what we've seen. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. I think this is the mark of a believer. This is the mark of a person whose life is going through transformation. So you have to ask yourself, well, if I haven't seen anything and I haven't heard anything lately... What does that mean? Does that mean you should slow down a little bit? Does that mean you should pull back? Does that mean you should reorient your priorities? Does that mean you should find a way to make space and to make room in your life? Now, Acts 2, 22, verse 14 says, Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witnesses to all people of what you have seen and heard. Now, let me tell you the background of that little phrase. This is the Apostle Paul 
and he's communicating his story. He's telling his story of how he was on the road to Damascus. And as he was riding on the road to Damascus, going to persecute Jesus' followers, something happened to him. He was knocked off a horse, and, the, and God appeared to him in a bright light and blinded him. And for three days, he was blind. God spoke to him there on that road and said, why are you persecuting me? And then he went and waited for three days and a wonderful, godly man named, now I can't think of his name, come on, Ananias. I was going to say Ananias and then I thought Ananias and Sapphira and that didn't make sense to me. Okay, so there was a godly man named Ananias and he was sent to Paul in this critical moment where God was speaking to him. And he said, this is what you're going to do. This is where you're going to go. This is what's going to happen to you. And look at his description. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. Listen, at the end of the day, really what we're responsible for is just being witnesses. Oh, you've heard that all your life, haven't you? If you've grown up in, your in a church, you've heard, well, I just need to be a witness. Oh, what do witnesses do? We have to make sure that we understand the meaning of words. You're a witness. You are not responsible for making it all happen. You are a witness of what God does, what he does in your life what he does in the people around you, what happens in, as, as you're going through this journey, this life journey, and you watch him interact, you surrender your life to him, you repent of your sins, you believe that Jesus is the one that was sent from heaven to demonstrate God's love. But as you do that, God begins to transform you. God begins to work in the people around you, and you are witnesses to that. I want you to think about how powerful it would be if you would just be more attentive what's going on around you. How powerful it could be if you would choose to become a witness of what God is doing. And if you don't see anything that he's doing, then you need to start looking because it's everywhere. That's the thing. It's everywhere. God is moving and working and he re revealing himself. He's revealing himself to people. He's revealing himself to all people. No matter what class range you're in, no matter how much money or how little money you make, no matter what, whether you're a Democrat or Republican or independent, God is revealing himself. 1 John 1, 3, I love this. 1 John 1, 1 through 3 says, that which was from the beginning, this is, this is the Apostle John and he's, he's writing here, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked at and our hands have touched. Oh, I love this. You understand how powerful this is, that this is God revealing himself through a baby that was touchable, holdable, squeezable even. He says, he says, we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. I want you to consider three ideas. Three ideas and then we'll be done. Number one, ordinary people get to witness extraordinary events. 
I want you to consider the disciples. Consider Jesus calling fishermen and tax collectors. Consider Jesus calling the bottom of the class of new rabbis. <laughs> These guys were not the top of their class. They were guys that were just average, ordinary people. Jesus chose them to be his apostles, to be his disciples, to be the ones that would carry the message. And it began at the manger. Shepherds being chosen to carry the message. Miracles are happening everywhere. You get to see them if you'll just open your eyes. All over this congregation, all over one chapel, I am amazed. I am overwhelmed. I have seen, I have seen an, uh, an agnostic man put his faith and his hope in Jesus. I have seen a young man that has no, he has no clue of, that God was chasing him all these years, all of a sudden realize that Jesus is real. And I'm watching him discover that. It is incredible. I look across the landscape of one chapel and I see people in transformation. I see a, 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 a man and woman that are just have wrestled in their marriage and are finding peace and strength in the middle of their experience with God. I'm, I'm seeing, I'm watching young people start prayer meetings in their schools. I am watching, it is happening here. It is happening in Austin. You just have to open up your eyes. You have to see what God is doing and people are running. Now, here's the problem. You're going to have to slow down. You're going to have to make space. You're going to have to be willing to, to, to allow other people to have access to your life, and you're going to have to take time to have access to their lives. It takes time. It takes energy. It's the one thing that's being stolen from us as believers in American culture. The problem with our culture in, in many respects is time. We just don't have enough of it. We have... All, we all have the same amount of time. You can witness incredible things. Number two, ordinary people get to do extraordinary things. The gospel, the message of the gospel is that Jesus came and paid the penalty for your sin, your failure, your foolishness, so that you wouldn't have to pay that penalty. But even more than that, then he sent his Holy Spirit who lives and breathes here on the earth and empowers us to do things that we couldn't do on our own. The shepherds left their sheep. This is an interesting, interesting thing to consider. There are the shepherds. The angel appears to them, angelic hosts, and he says, go. Do you think it was a risk for them to leave their sheep? <laughs> who, who were their bosses? <laughs> were those sheep their livelihood or was their, their boss's livelihood? Or what kind of risk would it take to just leave them? and go. Wow. Didn't see that one coming, did you? I think it takes a risk, but it's worth the risk. Ordinary people get to do extraordinary things. Jesus told his disciples that in, in John 14, he said, greater things than these. And he was talking about himself. He was talking about healing he was talking about delivering people from demonic oppression. He was talking about multiplying food. He said, greater things than these will you do because I'm going to my Father. 
You don't realize it now, but I'm going to my father. I'm going to make sacrifice for sin, and then I'm going to send you somebody that's going to live inside of you, that's going to make it possible for you to do amazing things. That's the thing you have to remember. The Holy Spirit lives in you, and he is, everybody, I know, big, this is a big moment right here. He is capable. You say, well, but I'm not capable. I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. He is capable. Surrender to him. There's no doubt he calls us to be good stewards. There's no doubt he asks us to take risks. But if we'll take the risks, if we'll be good stewards, you'll see extraordinary things happen that you couldn't do on your own. Number three, ordinary people get to tell extraordinary stories. You know what I'm really enjoying about planting a new church? I'm really enjoying the fact that we're creating history. That the memories that we're making at this moment will be told for years and years to come. I love telling the story of how Larry Foster showed up at an interest meeting. (laughs) And I had no idea who the guy was and he'd never met me and something happened there. God did something in his heart and in my heart and put us together. I love watching God touch people and rescue people from darkness or for the, from the fringe of their activity. I've talked to so many of you, and many of you have said things like, I just can't find my home. I can't find my spot. I've lived here for three, four years. I can't find it. It's time to find your family. This is it. And there is history that's being made. We'll get to tell the story of God's faithfulness for years and years to come. The miracle of how we got this theater, the miracle of what happened when we went to two services. (laughs) Notice the faith inherent in the sentence. (laughs) That God is at work. We are supposed to be the ones who tell our story. We're supposed to be the ones who carry it around and the moment comes and you're there in the cubicle at work and the, the person next to you is just struggling. They just don't know what to do. And in that moment, you realize, oh, I gotta tell her my story. This is the moment, I gotta tell her my story. You've been waiting, you've been praying for her and in that moment, you're ready. You're ready to tell the story. Oh, I gotta tell you what happened to me. It's very natural. It doesn't require a three-point sermon, no poems, no altar call, just being willing to tell the story. You're just responsible for what you've seen and what you've heard. Let's be those kind of people. Let's pray together. Close your eyes. Father, thank you for challenging us today to slow down, to look, to lift our eyes to consider who you are, what you want to do. And Father, all across this theater here this morning, we sense that you are speaking to us. And so, Lord, help us. Help us not to get so distracted that we're missing the angelic visitation. Help us not to be so busy that we just can't be available. To you. Help us, Lord, to understand what it means 
to just be responsible for what we have seen and what we've heard. Come, come and work in our lives right now, Lord. I wonder if you just with me, if just join me in opening your palms to heaven, just right on your lap or whatever, just palms up in a posture of receiving. Heavenly Father, help us, help each one of us to be witnesses, to witness what you're doing, to witness what you're saying, to witness what's happening around us, to witness the miracle of what's going on inside of us, and then to be willing and able to tell the story. Help us to take risks. Help us to be willing to stretch. Help us to be willing to surrender. Father, I pray that you'd help us to stop the busyness, stop the chaos that goes on in our hearts and minds. Settle our hearts and our lives. Open our eyes. Help us to see the harvest field that is ripe, that is waiting for us. Pray that you'd help us during this Christmas season to slow down, to see the Christ child, to see the purpose and the plan, and then to tell others about it. Thank you for that. Now, I'd just like to ask if there's anybody here and you have sensed that the, the Lord is speaking to you, God is speaking to you, and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the one who saves you from your sins, the one who forgives you of your sins. You've never given your life to Christ. You've never surrendered. And so I want to ask if there's anybody here who you've sensed the Holy Spirit speaking to you and you want to give your life to God. You want to follow God. Your plan's not working out. It's, it's, it's a mess. Maybe your life's a mess. Maybe, maybe you, you know who God is. Maybe you were raised in church somehow, but you've, you just haven't followed him. And it's time to follow him, and you sense that here in this moment. So whether you've never known Jesus or whether you haven't known him in a long time, I want you to just respond to him. If you're here, I won't call you forward. I don't want to embarrass you. But I do want you to make an act, a declaration. Would you just lift your hand up in the air and say, yep, that's me. I'm following Jesus today. Yep, I see you. Anybody else? Yep, I see you, brother. That's good. I see you way up there in the back. Yep, anybody else? I'm following Jesus today. I'm committing my life again. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yeah, I see you. That's good. That's good. Let me just pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for the commitment, the heart, the desire, the necessity that we understand that we have for giving our lives to Jesus. That the Father loves us so much that he sent his only son to die for our sins so that none of us would die, so that none of us would perish, but we would all have eternal life. I pray for eternal life to flood our souls here in this moment. Eternal life to flood these people's souls who've lifted their hands, who are saying, I want to commit my life to this purpose. I thank you for this. We thank you for sealing it, for doing it, doing the work in their hearts. Keep them safe now and lead them, guide them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm so glad that you have um, made that commitment today. If you did, I'd love to hear about it. If Jesus did something in your life today, I'd love you to take that connection card and just mark the box that says, I dedicated my life to Christ or I renewed my commitment to Christ because I'd love to help you with next steps.
if you're kind of lost and trying to figure out where you're supposed to fit in the family of God, I want to help you with that. So please do that. Mark that little box there. That would be great. As you, as the offering goes by, you can, offering bucket goes by, you can place that in the offering or you can put it out here in some of the boxes right before you leave. Um, the last thing we're going to do is we're going to worship the Lord with a giving of our tithes and offerings. It's a wonderful opportunity to worship the Lord with what means typically, what typically ends up meaning most to us. It gets a hold of us. And this is a way that we can say, we are not owned by money. We own money as a tool. And we're going to use it to build his kingdom. I want to tell you something. Right now, there's a bunch of people in need. And if you know somebody who is in need during this Christmas season, a family that's really struggling and, and hurting, you can give to them through the church anonymously. If you want to do that during the month of December, we're taking time to do that. And, uh, and we're giving to some really needy families and helping them with Christmas. Imagine this, a church uh, sends you a check rather than asks you for one. Um, that's a really that's a really great idea to me. So we're doing that this very week, and and um, I want you to um, if you have somebody that you think of and you want to give to them, you can write their name in the memo portion of your check, and uh, and we'll make sure that money gets to them to help them. All right, and so um, so let's pray over our tithes and offerings, and uh, and and then we'll worship together. Father, thank you for giving to us. We don't give out of duty. We don't give out of compulsion. We give out of joy. We give out of the desire to worship you, to build your kingdom, to make um, our lives available to you. And so we signify that by giving in this, in this offering. And we give you 10% of what we make, because not because we think it's law, but because we have love in our hearts. <laughs> and so we love you and we honor you with this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, stand up with us and let's worship the Lord as we give, all right?